You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. We're in 1 Peter. We've been in a series called Living Excellent Lives. So we're going to be finishing up this series today, and I want you guys to know, as you find the book of 1 Peter, as we look at it, this is a letter. It was a letter, and it was written by a guy named Peter. And the reason we call it 1 Peter is because he wrote another letter, and guess what we call it? 2 Peter, right? Brilliant. Scholars. You guys can train your parents when you get home, all right? And so it's one of those things where Peter's writing this letter, but I want you guys to understand This is a letter that he's writing in a place that is really, really hard for Christians. You see, this letter was written when people didn't like Christians very much. There was this this thing called Rome that really was ruling the entire known world, and they were being really, really mean to Christians. Christians were losing their lives. People were lying about them. They were having all kinds of hardship. People were taking their things. And Peter really, really loves Jesus, and he loves the people of God, and he wants them to know that even when things like this are happening, God can be trusted. And he wants them to be encouraged. And he wants them to understand the way that we live an excellent life is not that we have everything together and we fixed everything and we don't have any problems and we do everything right. The way that we live excellent, excellent lives is that God has made us his own and he's making us like Jesus. And that's a, that's a lesson grown-ups need to be reminded of too. And so as we finish today, I want us to talk about grace and glory and so if you remember, this guy who wrote the letter, Peter, he was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus had this special group of 12, but in that 12, he also had three disciples. One was Peter, one was James, one was John, and they would go with Jesus sometimes on extra field trips. See Matthew 16 and 17, right? And don't worry, when they got to go on field trips and the rest of the class didn't, they argued too. You can see that as well. And so they would do things, but I want you to know, Peter was one of those guys, maybe you're like this, maybe you know people like this, where he would talk first and he would think later. Y'all ever have that happen to you? It happens to me all the time. It happened to me in school. I would, the words would come out and I thought they were a good idea in my head, then my teacher's face would tell me it was a bad idea. Peter was a lot like that. And so sometimes Peter would, he would talk and he had really good intentions. He wanted to do what was right, but he just would mess up big time. And so when we read this letter, sometimes we separate it from the rest of our Bibles. But I want you to know, when it comes to your Bibles, the Bible tells one story. It's the rescue of man through Jesus Christ. And all the way from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between tells us how God rescues people, just like we heard in the story earlier in our service. So Peter As we read this letter, he's writing into some difficult circumstances. People are having a hard time, and he wants them to be encouraged. And so I want us to read today the very last part of the letter and then talk about some incredible things that God's Word has for us. So let's do this. Let's stand that we might honor the reading of God's Word this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse number 8. The Bible says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. 
firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. Receive it as his living word. You can be seated. So Peter starts out, and he tells us to be sober-minded. Now, I want you to know, when it comes to being sober-minded and watchful, Peter knew what it was not to be so sober-minded and watchful. When Jesus was about to go to the cross, the very night before he was crucified, in the garden, Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to come pray with me. So they all go with him, and they're going to pray. And Jesus goes off a little bit from him, and he's praying. He comes back, and you know what he finds the disciples doing? Snoozing like some of your parents may start doing in a minute. You can tell on them, I promise, all right? And so they're sleeping. And Jesus asked them, why are you sleeping? Could you not watch and pray for just an hour? You see, when we stand up here like this, I want you to know, as your pastor and for other teachers, we're not standing up here because we have it all together. We're standing up here because God has been kind to us and he's put us here, but we all need to be sober-minded and watchful. We all need his grace. And Peter is trying to encourage these people saying, listen, I'm not just talking about what might be true. I'm talking about what I know to be true because I've had some failures. I've fallen and and struggled. And so I want you guys to know, I want you to to be sober-minded. I want you to be watchful. We need to pay attention to what's going on around us because it's amazing just how fast we can find ourselves in a place we never expected to be. But then he goes and he starts to talk to us about this adversary. Now, adversary is kind of a fancy word. It basically has like a courtroom idea of some guy who's telling everybody that you did something bad, accusing you of things. And so Peter wants us to know the Christian life is not like a passive, I just hang out and hope that Jesus comes really quick, but it's an active life, one where we're watchful, sober-minded, we're paying attention, we're seeing all these things are going on because we have an adversary. Diabolos is the Greek word, the devil. Now, sometimes when we talk about the devil, it's important for us to remember a few things about this devil. Now, Peter tells us that we do have this this enemy, this adversary, this devil, and he is like prowling around like a roaring lion seeking those that he may devour. But it's important for us not to give the devil any more credit or power than he deserves. 
You see, for a lot of people, when it comes to thinking about God and it comes to thinking about the devil, we get into this mindset that it's like, okay, there's the good God and then there's the bad God, there's the God of light, there's the God of dark, and it's like these gods are battling it out, but that's not true at all. There's only one God, and he made everything get ready for this, including the devil. Even the devil has his very existence and being in God. And sometimes when we talk about the devil, we give him more credit than he is due. You'll notice that it says that he prowls around because he's not like God. God is everywhere all the time. The devil can't be everywhere all the time, which also means that we can't go Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, the devil made me do it every time, right? And so it's one of those things where sometimes we think that the devil has more power than he actually does. We talk about the Bible saying that he's like a lion. And if you've ever heard a lion roar, most lions I've seen are either on YouTube, TV, or in a cage at the zoo. And I'm kind of thankful for that, honestly. But when Peter's writing, they know what lions are like. Many of them had been to this place called the Colosseum. They had seen lions prowling. So when he writes and says, listen, you've got you to be paying attention because you have an enemy and he's like a lion. But dear ones, I want you to know you need not fear your enemy because he's only like a lion, but Jesus is the lion of Judah. I want you to know, sometimes when I read like in Ephesians chapter 6, and the Bible says that that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but there's these rulers and authorities and all these things in heavenly places, sometimes it makes me a little bit nervous until I realize that if I read the rest of the book, it says that Jesus is in those same heavenly places, that he sitteth at the right hand of the Father in those heavenly places, and that I'm seated with him. And I want you to know, when my elder brother Jesus is there, I don't have to be afraid. It's okay. When I was growing up, I grew up on a cattle farm, which my nearest neighbor was like nine and a half miles away, and he was 87. And so when we moved when I was in middle school to a neighborhood that had kids in it, it was like, look, mall people. It was great. And so one of the things that happened is we would just play outside all the time. Now, I know for, you know, modern parents, and if you're one of those helicopter parents, God love you, my parents used to do insane things, like release me outdoors into a field with no plans, nothing in my hands, and just be like, show up for dinner, or not, you know, have fun. And so we would go out, but we would get with the kids, we would play games, we'd do all this stuff, and everybody wanted to win the games. Sometimes if I wasn't there... I had these two younger sisters. Sometimes when my sisters would get in a disagreement with somebody else over something, they would say, oh yeah, well, I'm going to go get my big brother and he's going to fix you. Yo, that was a bad deal for me. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know who I was going to have to look in the eyeballs. I didn't know if they were going to be bigger than me. I didn't know how well it was going to be. But my sisters just were like, I'm going to get my big brother. He's going to straighten you out. And I'm thinking, he's probably not. What are you talking about? But see, it's not like that with Jesus. Jesus, who is our elder brother by faith in him, there's nothing he can't do. And there's no enemy that's greater. And there's no one and no thing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God that's in Jesus. 
So I want you to know when you read this and it says we have this adversary, we have this, this devil, this roaring, he's like a roaring lion. I want you to know you have the lion, your elder brother Jesus, and you are safe with him. And so Peter's writing this to people where they're still having bad stuff. They're, I mean, they're struggling. Things are happening in their lives. It seems like this is not fair. This shouldn't be happening. How am I supposed to see the world when it seems like everything is going wrong? And so he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to resist him. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you resist the devil? How are you supposed to have any kind of resistance to an angelic creature? Well, Jesus shows us the way. You see, when it comes to looking for understanding the Bible, I want you to know Jesus is the hero of every story. And when it comes to understanding the Bible, when we look at the Scripture, Jesus shows us how we're supposed to resist the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus went out into the wilderness. He hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. You talk about a long time to go without food and water? Long time. And that same adversary, that same devil, that same prowling, roaring like a lion guy that wants to see us consumed comes to Jesus. And he begins to tempt him. But Jesus was watchful. And he was ready. And do you know what Jesus did in the way that he resisted him? He said, it is written. And he quoted from the scripture. It is written. And he quoted from the scripture. It is written, and he quoted from the scripture, whether it was turning stones to bread or jumping off the temple or looking at all the kingdoms of the world. You see, if we're going to resist the devil, I want you to know it's important for you to know your Bible. It's important for us to know our Bibles. And for the people who would be watchful and those who would be sober-minded and those who are aware that we have an enemy and want to resist, we need to know our Bibles because the Bible says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? When it comes to our Bibles, our Bibles are important for us to know and understand so that when the enemy comes, when he hits me with whatever it is he's going to hit me with, when I am faced with asking questions about what is true and what is right according to my faith, I've got somewhere I can go look. I've got somewhere hidden in my heart. I've got, as the Bible describes it, a sword of the Spirit. Grown-ups, this is for you too. Those of you who find yourself trapped in ongoing patterns of sin, let me ask you a question. How much do you give yourself to sacred scripture? How much do you look to see what Jesus promises about those things? When you see yourself a victim of your circumstances, do you believe what scripture has to say? Do you look to the truth of scripture? You see, as we resist, Jesus shows us how we are to resist because the devil just wants to lie jesus on one occasion said that the devil not only is a liar but that that's his native language is lying and he likes to take things and he likes to twist them a little bit and he even likes to take god's word and try to twist it you can read that in matthew chapter 4 too 
he quotes a little bit of scripture to Jesus, but Jesus has to correct him because we need all of scripture so that we can understand it. That's how we resist. In the book of James, there's something else that we're told. James says that when you submit yourself, therefore, to God and you resist the devil, that he will flee from you. Can you imagine? Now, the Bible tells us there are certain things we should run from. But it's interesting to me that the Bible doesn't tell us to run from our enemy. It says resist him and that he will flee from you. Can I just tell you, my young brothers and sisters in the room, how much joy it brings me to know that when you use Scripture, that an eight-year-old can send our enemy flying. I think that's pretty cool. And the reason I do is because I think God is so kind and so good to us that he has not left us without help. He has not left us in a place where we can just be destroyed and run over. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And if we will take the word and use it well, that when we resist him, he will flee. Our enemy is nowhere near as great as Jesus. No one is as great as Jesus. And nobody loves you like Jesus. So when Peter writes to his friends and his family and he says, listen, I I want you to resist him. You got to be firm in your faith. And I want you to know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And if you're not paying attention, what that means is the word is so very important for us. We need it. In Deuteronomy 32, it says, it's no empty word for you. It's your very life. Jesus, in his prayer for you, said, the way that you will be made holy, sanctified, and set apart is by his word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said in John 8, 31, that his true disciples make their home in the word. Jesus said, you cannot live by bread alone. When it comes to this, I want you to know it is important for us to know our Bibles. And it's a joy to know them. It's not a labor where it's like this hard, mean thing to do. It's a joyful thing where we get to know Jesus firm in our faith. And then he reminds us of something we even heard a a story about today. That there are other people in the world who are Christians. Did you know that there's going to be some people in heaven that we have never met in this life, but in the life to come from every tribe, nation, tongue, dialect, around the throne of God singing a brand new song that Jesus gave us, we're going to meet brothers and sisters all over the place. Just like the story we heard this morning, Jesus really does love the entire world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him will not perish. And so I want you to know that there is a God who loves you. And we have brothers and sisters we have yet to meet. It's amazing to me how fast we can become friends. I love the way that Miss Brittany could talk on the phone for about 35 seconds. And now, great friends. If you're like me, you've had that experience as well. You make friends because there is a common bond and our spirit bears witness with their spirit that we belong to Jesus. And isn't it amazing how quickly relationships can form? 
And then Peter says, I want you to know, though, and after, this is verse 10, and after you've suffered a little while. Now, I wish he would tell me exactly what a little while is, because I think 13 seconds is a little while. He says, after you have suffered a little while. Now, when it comes to suffering, it's important for us to know that this life in Jesus doesn't mean you don't have any problems. It doesn't mean that there's never any not getting along. It doesn't mean that you don't have some struggles and that, you know, some difficult things that you're going to face. What it means is that none of our suffering in this life is meaningless because Jesus knows, Jesus will sustain. And the beautiful thing is he tells us that after we've suffered a little while, the God of all grace. I love that part. Remember, the God of all grace, not some grace, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Did you know our relationship with Jesus is a personal one? God is not just out there somewhere maybe doing something. Did you know that for those who are in Christ Jesus, your name is written in a book. Did you know that when it comes to following Jesus, that he knows every single thing about you? As a matter of fact, the Bible says not even a bird can fall from the sky that God doesn't know. There's not a blade of grass that he doesn't know about. And personally, the God who saves you will not only keep you, but he will also exalt you in Christ Jesus into glory. You know, one of the things that it's hard for me to get my mind around is the fact that in eternity that Jesus is going to complete his work and I'm going to be like him, fit for heaven, and then with him, personally, he will have restored me. That word restore is a Greek word, and it's got some really kind of cool usages. You can find it used when the, um, the disciples were mending nets. Now, when they would use those nets, every night when they would fish, those nets would fray, they would break, they would need to mend those nets every single day and start over and over and over and try to get it. And the longer they tried to repair them, you know, the harder it was and the more difficult it was. Or it was like a ship that had been out at sea and it had really, really taken a beating. And so they would dry dock the ship and they would have to try to refit it and fix the boards and put new boards and all this to get it restored. Did you know that what this says is that Christ personally is going to restore you to the original purpose he had for you to be with him and glorify him forever. For this is the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm so thankful for a God who knows me by name, who loves me by name who sees every bit of suffering, every bit of bad days, all the stuff that I am enduring for a little while, the same Christ who called me to that eternal glory himself is going to make sure that I am restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. And Peter gets so excited, he just carries off a little bit and he breaks into song. He just gives us a little bit of a doxology. He only gives us, you know, part of one because he gave us kind of the same one just a few verses earlier. But he just breaks into it and he says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to know that word dominion is, is this idea that when he says dominion, that's over the whole universe. 
There was a guy named Abraham Kuyper that said there's not one single inch of the universe where God cannot say mine. He gets so excited. And then he gives his amen. Now, most of us think that amen is the time to start the baseball game or to start the meal. But I want you to know it's an agreement. Let it be so. When we say amen, what we're saying is we agree with this prayer. So we say amen and say, hey, we've agreed. And boy, I'm glad they stopped praying because now it's time to eat, right? Sort of. But the first part. And then he goes on and he gives us some other things to know. He says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've briefly written to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Sometimes when you read names like that, you're like, why is that in there? You'll see him other places in Scripture called Silas. And I want you to know that one of the great things about all of these names that you find in Scripture reminds us of this, that God works in the actual lives of people inside of time, inside of history, in regular life. Every name represents God's faithfulness to another generation, to him doing his work in and through people. And Peter wants them to know this is the true grace of God, and this is how you stand firm. You're going to stand firm when things get hard, because as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the winds came, and the storm tossed, and it beat against that house, but the house stood firm. That's the idea, to stand firm. Peter remembers the words that he heard Jesus there in that Sermon on the Mount. And he said, listen, this is how you stand firm. Now, some people are not sure whether Silas was just the guy who like delivered the letter. Because, you know, FedEx wasn't a thing back then. No prime shipping. And so we don't know if he's just the one who delivered the letter. Or it may have been that, you know, as the apostles got older, sometimes they needed help writing the things down. And he may have been the one that wrote it. He may have done both. We're not sure. But here's what I do know. In Peter's next letter, just so that we don't have any question about it, he says, we have a word more sure. Because men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we can trust this word. And I want you to know, I think that when you put names in it like this, it actually gives it more veracity. It proves, hey, this is true. Because it'd be a whole lot easier not to assign it to an actual person. And then in verse 13, it says, she who is at Babylon. Now, that sounds kind of weird. And that is probably Peter using code for Rome. Because Babylon was a kingdom in the Older Testament that is long gone by the time this letter is written. So this is more of the idea of uh, the people of God being in exile under a difficult ruler. And it's interesting that he calls her she and says, who likewise is chosen, sends you greetings. Do you know that he's talking about his church? When it says she was in Babylon, who's also chosen, sends you greetings, Peter is saying, listen, just like we talked about that in your suffering, there are other brothers and sisters across the world who are also enduring that. There are also other brothers and sisters in the world. They may be praying for you right now. The world is a much bigger place than we think and a much smaller place than we think. And God is God over all of it. And then it's important because I love this. He says, so does Mark my son. Now, when it comes to this idea, I, I, I want to encourage us since we have a family Sunday today. Parents, I, I just want to remind you, you're the primary disciple makers in your home. 
And I love the way that Peter talks about having a son in the faith. I can remember over my many years, there are various people who, uh, in, in my upbringing, as I moved through, I remember so many people who loved me well, pointed me to Jesus. Men who are like fathers to me, who would tell me about life and how to navigate decisions and what it looked like to follow Jesus And I would ask you, Orchard, if we really are a family of missionary servants sent to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who are your sons and daughters in the faith? Who is it that you're sharing life with and pouring your life into and encouraging? I love the fact that Peter says, this is Mark, he's my son in the faith. And then at the very end, he reminds us that we are supposed to love one another he even tells us, greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, before you go, ew. It's not that kind of deal. It's one of those things where, did you know that because we belong to Jesus, we really do love each other? And we don't always like each other. We'll let testimony for that wait till another week. But we always love each other. And then he says this, and I, and I want you to notice, he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. When he says peace to all of you who are in Christ, he is putting all of the gospel together just in the word peace. Did you know that sometimes when it seems like things are crazy, you can actually find peace in Jesus? Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus Christ himself is our peace with God? All of the gospel summed up into one thing. We were enemies of God, but because of what Christ has done, when we repent and put our faith in him, we now have peace peace. We're no longer enemies. Instead, we're children and part of a family that's a whole lot bigger. All because of God's grace and one day enjoying and savoring God's glory.